Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Dave, three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all time and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who inspire us. Rocktail Hour is now an affiliate of Amazon.com, so if you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway, it would be cool if you would first click on the Amazon.com link on the Rocktail Hour homepage or affiliates page, and Amazon will kick a few bucks back to Rocktail Hour to help fund the free podcast. Today, Treg is going to bring us the story behind Riders on the Storm by The Doors. Treg? Riders on the Storm is one of my favorite songs. Uh, great song by The Doors, uh, great group. When I thought about which song to cover next in the next Rocktail Hour, I, I thought about which bands we hadn't covered yet. And Doors was at the top of my list of one of my favorite bands that we hadn't covered yet. The Riders on the Storm is on the Doors' 1971 album, L.A. Woman. Great album. I don't think there's a bad cut on that, on that album. This is the last album that the Doors recorded. Now, let's talk for a minute first about the Doors. Uh, they are one of the kings of psychedelic rock. They were formed in Los Angeles in 1965. And their music uh, features themes of revolution, disorder, chaos, challenging middle-class values. Uh, They were part of the free love generation and uh, obviously into psychedelic drugs like most of the other bands at the time that were that were playing psychedelic type music. The name of the band was taken from a book by Aldous Huxley called The Doors of Perception. And this book was about an afternoon drug experience that he had. And also, it, it, Aldous Huxley took that phrase from a poem by William Blake. Hmm. I knew about the book. I didn't know that he took it off of a, a poem. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting. It's a phrase from, from a poem. Hmm. I think what set the doors apart from most of the other bands in the, in the 60s in this uh, psychedelic movement was their frontman, Jim Morrison. He was very charismatic. Uh, had a great voice. And uh, he wrote a lot of the lyrics, and he, he was a, a great poet. He actually pu- published some poetry books as well. Some of his po- his poetry, by the way, is being studied as part of college curriculums. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a little bit, uh, a, lot of it, a lot of their music is, has uh, dark themes. Uh, a lot of it is depressing, uh, looking at death. Yeah, Morrison had a, a fascination with death and kind of glorified it, I think, in his own mind and uh, almost was looking forward to it. The, one of the poems he writes starts off saying, you know, how was your life when you died? Was it good enough to base a movie on? Interesting. Yeah, he, he wrote a lot about death in his songs and in his poetry. So yeah. interesting that he died at a young age. Or did he? <laughs> He's hanging out with Elvis somewhere in Argentina. Right. <laughs> well, you know, like many of uh, the artists at that same time, he was taken too soon. Uh, he died on July 3rd, 1971, and he was at age 27, which I think is the same age as Jimi Hendrix and uh, Janis Joplin. That's right. They both died, I think, a year earlier, but at the same age. Jim Morrison died of apparent heart failure when he was living in Paris. If you know much about his life, it certainly seems that he was a victim of his own self-indulgence. He drank alcohol voraciously. Uh, he took drugs. He, it, he lived life to its fullest and, and did not spare when it came to, to vices. So it's, it's not at all surprising that, that he died at a young age. It's a shame. I think he had so much talent and so much potential. Although some people would say that, especially toward 
the end of of his career that that he seemed almost as if he was losing his grasp on reality. Maybe he never had it, but he seemed to be kind of out of it. And I think he'd lost interest in it. I think he'd totally lost interest in in being a musician and a rock star and and he sort of longed to be something other than he was. You certainly get that perception from the movie, The Doors. Great movie, by the way. Loved mm-hmm. it with Val well, Kilmer. And, and, yeah. and even a couple of the books that I've read seem to, to really allude to the fact that he just became disinterested in in the stardom of rock and roll. And, you know, he wasn't he wasn't able to do all the things he wanted to do artistically and and just felt like he'd kind of hit a stagnant point in his life is the way I interpret it. Interesting. Yeah, I think he was someone of quite a lot of substance intellectually. And he was very bright. He was very bright IQ. and uh, clearly a very, very deep thinker and an artistic guy. But fame and fortune at its core is very hollow. And I think that a lot of these artists that have that substance and that are known for, you know, great theatrical performances. I mean, Hendrix was a little bit this way. He got to the point where he hated, you know, playing a concert because everyone wanted to hear Purple Haze and Hey Joe. And he was, you know, musically feeling much more substantive. And I think a lot of these artists, they grow to where they're, they're the icon of themselves is overshadowing who they really are inside, and they just oh, right. just check out. That's my view of Morrison and what, yeah. kind of what happened to him. He got fat and started <laughs> to really check out physically, mentally, across the board, really. Definitely. There are a lot of people who would, who would call Jim Morrison a visionary and others who would call him a drunken clown in a leather suit. Mm-hmm. And it just depends upon your perspective of, I think, whether you connect with the music or not. Mm-hmm. And while I don't necessarily connect with the message, I, I love the music and I love the vocals. It, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, another thing that's interesting about uh, Morrison is I understand that in his early days, he was quite shy. And the Doors would perform early in the clubs in, in Los Angeles, and he would actually turn his back to the audience. I think they, they portrayed this in the movie as well, didn't they? They did. In his early club days, he was so he had, he had a significant amount of stage fright, and he couldn't face the audience, so he would perform facing the drummer, John Densmore. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And, but then as, as he grew more confident, and I think as he started to take drugs and probably even drink, he became a lot more vocal and a lot more confident. Um, even to the point where he got arrested on a couple of occasions because of things that he said and did, which we probably shouldn't go into. A lot of lewd conduct show. on stage, we'll just say. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Do you know that the Doors played at Lagoon? You're kidding. No, this is an absolute fact. I have a friend that whose mother went to see the Doors at Lagoon. It's hard to believe that they actually performed there. Is Lagoon in Provo? Uh, it's in it's in Farmington, kind of north Salt Lake. Oh, okay. It's an amusement park. Huh. When did they play there? September, September eighth, nineteen sixty seven. That's amazing. Yeah, hard to believe, but that's that's true. They were actually here in Farmington, Utah. It doesn't seem like a big enough venue in nineteen sixty seven for the Doors. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Although, did they get were they huge in sixty seven? I thought that was more on their ascension. And they were bigger in 68, 69, and then he died in 70. So maybe that's when they were a little smaller. Died in 71, yeah. Oh, he died in 71, yeah. Uh So maybe that was at the beginning of their career. I don't remember the dates. Hmm. So uh, let's talk about the song. Riders on the Storm is the last track on the L.A. Woman album. 
It reached number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the United States and number 22 on the UK singles chart. The album version is 7 minutes and 9 seconds, but the single was shortened uh, for radio play. The song was recorded at the uh, Doors Workshop, which is what they called their recording studio. It was recorded in December 1970 with the assistance of Bruce Botnick, who was their longtime engineer, and he co-produced the recording sessions with the Doors. Paul Rothschild was their regular producer uh, of their first five albums, but he decided not to work on this album, allegedly because he didn't like the songs. Nobody knows for sure. Of L.A. Woman? Yeah. Really? Amazing, huh? And he knew the Doors catalog as well as anybody. Exactly. That's, a, that's one of their strongest albums. Yeah, I think it is. Interesting. This was the last song that was recorded by the members of the Doors, as well as Morrison's last recorded song to be released. The single was released in 1971, shortly before Jim Morrison's death, and it entered the Hot 100 on the day that he died, July 3rd, mm. 1971. The, the song is rumored to have been played only once uh, during the L.A. Woman tour at the Warehouse in New Orleans. and This was actually the, the Doors' last public performance with Jim Morrison, and it was the second date of the tour, and the tour was canceled after that. Why was the tour canceled? Do I don't you know? know. Interesting. There is a, an interesting YouTube video of Ray Manzarek uh, describing how they came up with the song. Hmm. He describes that he was in the Doors workshop playing around. Uh, Robbie Krieger on guitar was playing Ghost Riders in the Sky by Vaughn Monroe. And, uh, and so Ray Manzarek, uh, who was the keyboardist for the doors and, and he joined in and they were just messing around and, uh, Jim Morrison came in and he says, Hey, I've got lyrics for that. And the lyrics that he had was Riders on the Storm. Ray Manzarek said, well, we can't just totally rip off ghost riders in the sky. Let me see what I can come up with. And so he said, he put some jazz into it to make it a little bit dark. It ended up being quite a blues number. Uh, he created this great bass line with the keyboard, and the bass line is one of my favorite parts in, it's in the song. It's a great bass yeah, line, and it's exactly. one of the most memorable parts of that song, Absolutely, I think. yeah. When you combine that with the sound, with the recording of the thunder in the background, yes. it's just, it gives you chills. Mm -hmm. So uh, Ray Manzarek came up with this great bass line playing it on the keyboard, and they brought in Mark Benno and Jerry Sheff to play bass on the album. And so Ray Manzarek showed Jerry Sheff the song, showed him uh, the bass line that he wanted him to play. And Jerry Sheff said, you can't do that. You know, look at what I have to do in order to hit those chords. And so he's, he goes through all these machinations with his hands trying to play the, those same notes mm. on the bass guitar that was really simple to play on the keyboard. And, and so Jerry said, no, I can't do this. I can't do it. And, and Ray Manzarek finally talked him into doing it. And he says, all right, I'll do it. And he ended up being able to play it on the bass guitar. But apparently it was very, very difficult for him to do so. Mm -hmm. I don't play the bass. I don't play guitar. So I don't know just how challenging it would be. But hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. I'll tell you, Ray Manzarek was a phenomenal keyboard player because until they had Jerry playing bass, he was the bass live and on the albums. And you listen to it, he's covering a lot of ground on the keyboards, you know, doing the melodies, doing the rhythm, and doing the bass parts. He was a he was a talented keyboard player. Yeah, they really launched their career with Light My Fire, which features awesome organ yep. solos. Yeah. Uh, fittingly, the song ends with the storm fading slowly into the silence. And uh, you know what I found to be really interesting, and this is probably the fact of the podcast, that there is a, uh, there's an echo effect. If you listen to the song really closely, there's an echo effect. 
and that was created by Jim Morrison whispering the lyrics over his own vocals. And so you'll, you know, if you listen to it through some headphones, you can actually separate out the whispering from the singing of the vocals, but it creates this eerie echo effect. So he in he's layering that on top of himself. Exactly. So he sang it and then he also whispered this just the spoken words at the same time in the same cadence that he's singing it. Exactly. That is interesting. That makes me want to go put on some headphones and listen to that song again. Yeah. Huh. I highly recommend it. Okay. Rayman Zurich said that the last thing that Jim Morrison ever did was this ephemeral whispered overdub. So that is the last known recording of Jim Morrison's voice was the whisper overdub. Wow, that's haunting. Yeah. No, I love this song, and it's interesting to hear all of these things uh, that, that you're telling us, stuff that I, I never knew and stuff that I, I, I probably didn't consciously recognize as, as part of the recording. But uh, what a great song. You know, The Doors are a great band, and, and I kind of like some of their, I don't know, I kind of like some of their uh, other tracks more than I like Riders on the Storm, and I love Riders on the Storm, but I like uh, People Are Strange. I think that's a great song. That could be your theme song. <laughs> yeah, smartass. <laughs> and um, I do like that song because it's just different. And um, the only other thing I'd say is is there are certain songs that I think were incredibly effective uses of rock and roll in film, um, and not being necessarily recognized as rock and roll, but more as, as a soundtrack to the actual movie. And one of those is, is Imagine from The Killing Fields. That's an, uh, just an excellent addition to that movie. But, but one of the great uses of rock and roll in a movie was when, uh, they used the doors, the end. Uh, in the opening part of uh, Apocalypse Now. Yes, that's, I that's agree. Just incredible, and yep. you, you don't you don't have to know that that's the Doors, and you don't have to know it's the end, but that is one heck of an incredible um, use of of somebody's um, art that was exclusive uh, from the actual story of the movie, and then it integrated into a movie, and it, just amazing when you see that. This song was actually featured in a movie as well. I'll talk about that in just a second. Hmm. Um, in fact, let's talk about the meaning of the song. Uh, a lot of people think that it's, it's kind of an existential song. If you think about the opening lyrics, uh, Riders on the Storm, in, Into This World We're Thrown, mm -hmm. and you know, with, the, with the, the theory that we are all thrown into this life and we're just riders on the storm, you know, thrown into this life with nothing, like a dog without a bone. That we, there's no apparent purpose or meaning to our lives. We're just kind of thrown into it. Uh, the second verse refers to a killer on the road. Actually, that comes from a screenplay that Jim Morrison wrote called The Hitchhiker, an American pastoral. And uh, Morrison was going to play the part of a hitchhiker who goes on a murder spree. You kind of get the feeling that he wasn't too far removed from such a character. In real life, you mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't you think, really, when you think of Jim Morrison and then you hear about him writing a story in which he's going to play a, a hitchhiker that goes on a murder a, a murder spree, it almost feels like he, there but for the grace of God, went Jim Morrison. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Could be. You know, just, he, he just barely escaped actually really doing that. That probably adds to his mystique. 
Well, let me elaborate on that, if I could, really quick. John Densmore, the drummer, wrote a book called Writers on the Storm, My Life with Jim Morrison. I read it when I was in high school, when I was really, really deep into the doors. And impressionable. Yes, yes. (laughs) Highly. (laughs) And Densmore tells a fairly spooky and kind of haunting story as it relates to this very topic. He said that Morrison would frequently bring up the topic of murder. And he wanted to experience everything that there was in life. And one of the things that he always wanted to figure out was, what does it feel like to kill somebody? And as he tells the story, there was a period of time, and I'm recalling with a vague memory, but there was a period of time where Jim was gone and no one really knew where he was. And he came back and he sat down with Jim Morrison and Morrison somewhat confided in Densmore and said, I killed somebody. I did it. Wow. (laughs) I'd never heard that before. And that was, you know, not too far removed from when Riders on the Storm, the song came out. So there is, I mean, whether it really happened, who knows, but there is a little bit of an autobiographic element to this song. Morrison had a fascination with killing someone and maybe doing it in this type of a fashion. So that'll add another extra element of haunting to the lyrics as you listen to it. Well, yeah, definitely. And that story certainly explains the mysterious Indian in the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'll never get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've also heard uh, and read that uh, Jim Morrison, when he, before he joined the Doors, that he was dating a girl who lived quite a distance away from him, and he would spend, I mean, like a couple hundred miles away, and he would spend days hitchhiking to to go to see her. And, you know, mm-hmm. I imagine that, you know, being out on the road and riding with strangers, that would, and, and you have a lot, of t- a lot of time to think while you're out on the road, that that would have an impact on your psyche as well. Certainly a different world. Now, uh-huh. I think that that may have played into it. It's kind of interesting that, that this uh, idea about a hitchhiking murderer movie comes full circle because the song, Riders on the Storm, inspired Eric Red to write a movie called The Hitcher. Which Rucker was made, Hauer. Yeah, oh, exactly. Great movie. 1986, oh, yes. Rucker great Hauer. Movie. And it opens. That was a terrifying movie. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? I never saw it, but I understand that it opened to the, that the opening scene featured this song, Riders on the Storm. Yeah. Tim's exactly right. I didn't it was remember terrifying. that, but that's interesting to know. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't remember that, but that's that's really interesting. That was a scary movie. Do you remember the part where he's eating French fries in the diner? French Tim? fries. Yep. <laughs> and yep. he picks up one, and it's the finger of someone that oh. had been killed, and he about to yeah. pop the finger in his mouth, and he sees it, and he realizes the hitcher is right is in the building with him. Oh. <laughs> so there was that was a really really well crafted movie. Right up until, um, right up until the time that uh, Rutger Hauer is being chased uh, in a car by uh, uh, by a helicopter, and Rutger leans out the window with a three fifty seven Magnum and shoots twice and blows up the helicopter, and then after that it sort of lost its credibility with me. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a scary movie. <laughs> it was. It was a great one. Yeah, that finger scene was great. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Well, uh, Ray Manzarek says that uh, Jim Morrison didn't want to leave the song with this dark image of a hitchhiking murderer on the road. And so he adds another verse where Jim Morrison was singing his love to his girlfriend, Pam. 
Ray Manzarek says that Jim Morrison was trying to wipe out of his mind and on the planet this killer on the road. And so he says to his girlfriend, you got to love your man, uh, take him by the hand, his world on you depends, our life will never end, got to love your man. And that's how he ended the song, to end it on a, on a happy note. Oh, see, now, the way I had always interpreted that was that the whole song was about a guy who was deranged, detached from the world, and goes on a killing spree as a hitchhiker. And part of the reason is because his love had left him, and that's why Morrison is saying, girl, you got to love your man or he's going to go crazy and start uh-huh. killing people. <laughs> I, I thought it was... <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't lift the song for me, at least, when I <laughs> remember I was trying to interpret it as a kid. Well, this is this is Ray Manzarek, you know, in, in probably the 2000s, interpreting the song. Yeah, so maybe yeah. Jim Morrison did have something a little more sinister in mind. Yeah. Well, I, I can't leave a podcast without some little legal anecdote. In 2002, Robbie Krieger and Ray Manzarek reunited and they called themselves the Doors of the 21st Century. Uh, John Densmore, the drummer, who apparently wasn't invited to join them, filed a lawsuit to prevent them from using the name The Doors. And so Krieger and Manzarek renamed their band to Riders on the Storm after this song. Interesting. Mm. It's actually a better name. (laughs) Yeah. And they were wildly popular and sold millions of albums. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. Great, Treg. That's a great podcast and a lot of insights there. And I think it's high time that we covered the doors. So very well done. Thank you. Uh, You can listen to a clip from the song Riders on the Storm on iTunes by clicking on the album link on the Rocktail Hour website. Uh, Please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong or if you have an interesting rocktail of your own. Or if you have a recommendation of a song that would be a good subject for Rocktail Hour. If you think we're just lame, please keep that to yourself as always. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and rate us on iTunes. Until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on. <laughs>